0: Landry.audio. Listen, like, and subscribe. I'm told that you have to hit the bell icon to get notifications. Um, Today, I'm joining with someone who, uh, I guess, is becoming a very good acquaintance and and perhaps even a friend of mine uh, from overseas, Mr. Barry Goldwater, Jr., who resides in in Arizona. Barry was a a long-term congressman for the Republican Party in the state of California, bases himself out of uh, Arizona as a business consultant and lobbyist these days. And his father was very well known for running uh, as the presidential candidate in the 64 uh, American presidential campaign. How are things on that side of the planet today, Barry?
1: You know it's a beautiful day here in Arizona. We are you always know it's uh, the fall when all these all the license plates start to change from Arizona to Illinois and uh, Wisconsin and uh, a lot of the Midwest people in Canada. They try to get out of that snow to come to Arizona. So, you know, that uh, things are looking good, but it's beautiful weather.
0: Yeah, I think, summer, I,
1: I, survived 110 degree summer.
0: I think I've told you that previously when we've spoken. I'm originally from Calgary in Canada, and I remember Arizona was the hub for numerous amounts of Canadians to go over, and especially because uh, oil and gas. So they would oftentimes have a second home out in that area to uh, escape, escape the, the very cold winter that I come from.
1: A lot of Canadians in Arizona. Hmm. And it's direct, a- direct flights now from all yeah. the major cities.
0: Well, that's probably a good place to start off our conversation. So the the situation down here in Australia is probably very, very different to what you guys are experiencing in, in America in terms of COVID. Um, we have gone through some really excessive long-term lockdowns with uh, Sydney is just starting to open up. I think Melbourne opened up last year and Melbourne became... I believe the city that had the longest lockdowns in the entire world. And I know this is a big debate over in the United States. And this is typically, I think, dictated by uh, your governors in the state. So some states are open, some aren't. So what's, what's kind of happening over there?
1: Well, it's a mixed bag. Uh, the president has uh, uh, prescribed lockdowns and masks and distances and all those prescriptions but it's been primarily up to the governors. We're a federalist society for federalist government where we have the federal government and then a lot of power is left up to our 50 different states. And we have governors who you know, have different approaches to it. Uh, mostly Republican governors uh, believe in freedom, give the uh, citizens uh, sufficient information and they will decide for themselves what's best for them. It's similar to when you have the flu, you know, you got enough common sense to stay home and take care of the flu. Uh, and so most of the Republican states have left been open, mm. uh, and especially recently. Uh, the question is about the school children: should they wear masks? And in Arizona, uh, we actually passed a law disallowing schools from requiring students from wearing masks. Now, a lot of the schools are disobeying and breaking that law. Uh, so it's, a, it's kind of a mixed bag of, of uh, approaches to dealing with it. Uh, I, I happen to believe that if you give people enough information to make sensible decisions, they'll make the right decisions. And we don't need to uh, bankrupt all these small businesses who go out of business because of these lockdowns. And a lot of people have gotten hurt because of it. Uh, School children have had to stay home and lost a whole year of school. And now they're trying to get back into school and they're having a lot of psychological uh, uh, problems with with the school children making readjustments. Some are having to wear masks, some are not. It's it's a confusing time in, in the United States and I think worldwide as to how to approach this thing.
0: And, and what's happening at, at a federal level, then I, I'm hearing that there's so there's multiple things that I'm hearing. First of all, as you said, it's, it's killing small business. So we've got sort of the, the frontline workforce that's gone unemployed. Um, I believe that you guys are doing something similar to what we did for a long time, which is virtually handing out bonuses and, and check stimulus money. And I'm told that might be still continuing, which is a uh, which is giving people the choice of whether or not they want to return to work or not. And then now the fallout from this is, of course, we're starting to get uh, inflation is starting to rise, uh, rise through. Is, is that what you're seeing? Do I, am I understanding this correctly?
1: That's exactly what happened here in the 1920s when this all started. Um, they required everybody to stay home. Couldn't go out for your dinner and lunch and breakfast. Ah, uh, businesses required uh, had to close and they they passed a lot of they they authorized a lot of money mm. in the early 1920s in the united states we only spent 4.9 trillion dollars in federal outlays in 21 so far up to march we've spent over 7.6 trillion dollars in subsidies and so yes we have spent a lot of money uh, to help small businesses, to individuals, uh, you name it. If, you, if you're unemployed, you get some money. They stopped uh, 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 on rental, rental apartments. Uh, they, they prevented uh, people to foreclose on, on, on renters because they couldn't pay their rent. So there was a lot of government intervention to help uh, individual citizens in 2021 now that has all stopped and now we're making an adjustment uh, not having those those dollars to depend on so people are having to go back to work but unfortunately a lot of people got used not working and a lot of them uh, seem to be not going back to work and so we have a labor shortage in this country and I don't totally understand why they say people got got used to not working. And and then you start thinking about their job. And they're thinking, well, I can improve, I can get a better job. And so there's people still on the sidelines. I think eventually that's going to take care of itself. But right now it's hard to find uh, good labor. Uh, a lot of companies are hurting because they can't get people to come to work.
0: Mm. And I know that you're a big proponent. We've spoken about this, uh, you know, a couple of times, and it's what Ron Paul is always on about, about tying currency to the gold standard, so to curb inflation. So with the Federal Reserve effectively just printing money, do you want to kind of give us just a brief 101 on, you know, what this means to, to purchasing power and the fact that, you know, in order to try to stabilize this at the moment, we're literally just printing trillions and trillions of dollars.
1: Yes, uh we in the back 1970, 72 or so, under when Jimmy Carter was the president, we uh, we had a situation that's similar to what's going on right now. Uh, the federal government spent so much money, and that money flows out into eventually the hands of the citizens, and they with all that extra money start spending it. And if you if you if you if you spend a lot of money on a product and there's not supply enough product to go around, you drive the price up and that's what's happening. You uh, All this money chasing few too few goods drive the price of that product up and that's what inflation is all about. And right now uh, we have trillions of dollars floating around out there, uh, that are being it's being spent and it's and because of a variety of reasons there's not a supply of goods or services available so the price of gasoline is up 40 percent price of a a, a a slab of bacon is up 20 percent I mean everything is not up in the United States all because there's too much money floating around and not enough supply of goods mm. and uh, that that's going to come back and haunt uh, this president in our midterms in 2022 uh, because it all gets down to in, in the pocket bush book issues i mean we're all concerned about school we're all concerned about a lot of different things but if you don't have enough money to feed yourself and your family or to pay your rent or your mortgage, uh, that gets down to, to that gets down to where it starts hurting personally and it'll and it'll in greatly influence the next elections that uh, that uh, happen, which will happen in 2022 here in the United States.
0: And I know that you are a business consultant and not an economist, but I mean, are you are you talking, or or what are you hearing? Because you know, when we look at these factors of. Uh, relatively high unemployment because people are choosing not to work with, with large levels of inflation. Uh, I'm being told that, that generally speaking, banks are keeping interest rates artificially low at this point in time for things like mortgages to, uh, to curb this, this going up. Uh, have you spoken to anyone? Are you hearing anything about you know, what we're looking at, say, in, in the next 24 to 36 months, uh, up to five years in terms of you know, what this is going to mean moving forward?
1: Well, in the United States, we have a, a tripart government. We have the executive branch, which is the White House, the president. Then we have the Congress, which is the Senate and the, and the, and the House. And then we have the Supreme Court. But we also have a fourth branch of government called the Federal Reserve, which was created primarily to stabilize our currency uh, so we can avoid recessions and, uh, and in, inflations. And uh,
0: so we have the same thing here, effectively. You know,
1: the same thing there. Okay, well, they, they have a tremendous amount of influence over, over the stability of our economy. And uh, in 2008, when we had this recession, uh, the Federal Reserve started printing money. Uh, they bailed out all these banks and uh, financial companies. They poured billions of dollars, trillions of dollars into the economy. And that has not stopped; It's still doing it, Mm -hmm. and they they keep interest rates low uh, to make money available for people. And 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 what's happening is they 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 try to keep an inflation rate of around two percent, but it's gotten gotten away from them. Now they say it's 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 uh, temporary; that's going to come down. But most you learned economists. Uh, feel that we're back in the same place we were in the 1970s, where we had stagflation, where we had runaway inflation that got up to about 15 20%. Interest rates were driven up uh, to 25%. And we had uh, an and economy was and basically slowed down and almost stopped. Mm. So you had, you had uh, businesses were slowed down, inflation got away, and the only, and, and Ronald Reagan was elected, and all they could do to, to stop all that was to raise interest rates. And that's what happened back in the 70s. And I think we're headed in the same thing. We have, uh, the economy has slowed down. Uh, we predicted uh, this third quarter will probably be about a 2% growth, where at one point in time, they thought it was gonna be 7%. The GDP, growth, domestic product, So it's going to be slowed down, and then you have inflation that that seems to be no stopping to it because of the trillions of dollars just out there pushing and pushing and pushing and uh, with too few goods and services available. So you got inflation and you got a slow economy, and we're going to wind up, I think, with another stagflation.
0: So if I'm hearing you right, then, effectively, rising interest rates is generally designed to to restrict people's access to money to ideally bring it back down to to, yeah. to create some buying yeah. power out of it again.
1: Yeah, exactly right. They use interest rate to slow that the rate of inflation down. Mm. Okay. I mean this, uh, this is this is uh, this is economics 101. You got to stay and stay within your means and we're certainly not. The United States is just going crazy with spending at the mm. federal level. And it's, and it, and eventually, sometime you have to, you're going to have to pay for that. Mm. It's going to come back. And interest rates. I mean, right now they they don't have a big problem being the international monetary reserve of the of, of the economy. But all of a sudden, if interest rates go up, the cost of all that's going to be uh, really uh, dampen the quality of the United States and the respect that they have for our currency. The United States for many many years had a stable economy, but when when we got all this spending that's going on, uh, we're destroying that credibility.
0: Yeah, there there are people I know. So I think as I told you, I, I didn't move to Australia until 2004, but there are people that I know my age now who were kids at the time in the early 1990s. And the Australian economy went through huge amounts of inflation. I think home mortgage rates started getting at around 18 to 19%. So people that had put... Um, you know, 15 years of equity into their home, all of a sudden we're losing their homes because they could no longer manage, you know, structured uh, mortgage repayments that they had been doing up until that time. To, to lose your home effectively halfway through a 30 year mortgages is, is uh, I, I don't, it's, it's terrible.
1: Well, you, you get politicians that they have no sense of economics, they have no sense of common sense. Uh, and they, they wanna do all these things for the people. And that's not what governments created to do. Basically, the, the, our governments were created to provide for the national defense and let let freedom do the, the, the let freedom decide on how the economy would move. I mean, if you have the freedom, as we used to, and I think in Australia, to go out and start your own business and take a risk, you could do that. You could win, but you could also lose. And the government's not there to bail you out. Uh, we all, the government should help with the safety net for those, especially disabled or elderly, or those who fall out of the economic workforce and have problems. But that safety net should only be to get those people back into the productive force. Yes. The government does not exist to provide all the welfare that, uh, a bunch of liberals here in in, uh, the United States want to do. I mean, uh, Joe Biden, our president, is going crazy. Uh, I mean, he is promoting a socialist kind of economy that's going to really hurt this country.
0: Let's, we'll start moving into that space then. Um, So again, for for people like me, and again, the media narrative has changed drastically. This is is the other thing about is, um, during the period where Trump was in office, um, it was nonstop negative media attention. You know, two you know, two stories a day coming out about how terrible this man was. This has has virtually all completely ceased since since Biden has come into government, and so it makes it very very hard to understand what he's doing because most of the press now is virtually around the trips that he's taking, and and there doesn't seem to be any dialogue about um, uh, you know laws and, and other things that he's doing. So you know, you're saying what he's doing is terrible. Can you just Tell us, in, in a broad sense, give us a few points, for example, of what he's doing to, to let us in and, and understand this a little bit more.
1: We're talking about President Biden. Correct. He was elected about nine or ten months ago, and he ran on a ticket to bring the country together. In other words, somewhere down the middle of the road.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But once he got elected, he moved to the far left and was, and was taking on the agenda of of socialism, and so what he, is he
0: doing? What what do you think is he doing? Yeah.
1: Well, he has proposed uh, 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 a program to spend about three point five trillion dollars. Mm. I mean, I don't even comprehend what a trillion dollars is, let alone three.
0: And do we have any idea yeah. what what would be American GDP per year?
1: No, not with that.
0: No. Okay.
1: The, the the projection was we were supposed to have about seven percent GDP but and growth I'm talking about and now it's probably going to be less than that about two percent but I don't know what the total GDP would be but he has proposed all kinds of social welfare programs like uh, um, child uh, tax credits for every child you have yeah. Um uh, spending, eight weeks. spending. Yeah. Yeah. Eight weeks of uh, of uh, maternity leave for everyone required, yeah. free education, uh free health, and things things like that. And uh, it's it's basically a, very much socialism uh right out of the Karl Marx's book. Mm. And uh, you know, every time that, that they've tried socialism around the world, it's failed. And there's nothing, no substitute for freedom.
0: So what do you think? Because the, the argument always from people is, oh, look, you know, they're in Scandinavia. They're able to get it off the ground. They point to the countries that I'm from, like, like Canada and Australia. Um, what do you think is fundamentally, I guess, the, the difference? Or what are we not being told, uh, I guess, of the cost effect in countries where they are arguing that it works, like, like over here in Scandinavia?
1: Well, uh, you know, uh, the, the quality and standard of living Compared to the United States, it's not, it's not even close. Uh, they, they, In the United States, this country was founded on the concept of freedom, and that's why so many people are trying to get into the United States and not leave. Hmm. People basically want to be free and left alone, uh, to, to go out and work hard, take care of their family and their community, um, take a risk if they want, or work for somebody else. But we have that freedom to make those kinds of decisions. When all of a sudden you start overtaxing people, overregulating them, and creating a cradle-to-grave kind of welfare system where you don't really have to work hard. I mean, they take from the from the workers and give to the non-workers, and that's not what America was built on. Hmm. And that's kind of where we're headed back again today under under Biden, and he, he's out of touch with the American people. Uh, in fact, the latest uh, popularity polls puts him down below thirty percent, which is which is never heard of.
0: Yeah, I think low thirties is generally on the extreme end, isn't it? Like a to- yeah, he
1: is he is not a popular president. He's not doing things that the average American wants him to be doing, uh, and and this spending is uh, is something that's not very popular, especially when you have, when you have inflation. I mean. It's a, it, to buy a gallon of gas here went from uh three dollars up to five dollars mm. for that's for a regular now the, you know the average person who commutes five or ten miles a day that hurts
0: yeah um, so, one one of the questions that that uh, again sort of sort of feeding into that is um is the issue of of, of american health care and i just wanted to sort of tie this into COVID because uh, you know, when I had the chance to speak with Ron Paul about this previously, you know, the, the issue isn't isn't Medicare itself; it is the billing practices, oftentimes, of of private providers. But, um, you know, I, I've I've lived in three countries. So I was I was born in Canada. I spent a few years living in in England and the UK, which has their NHS system. And here in Australia, and Australia has more of a two tiered approach now, where we've got public and private. But I've never had to experience anything where, if I was hospitalized for COVID or, or a broken bone, where it would cost me thousands of dollars to potentially access care if I didn't have uh, decent health insurance in place. Why? What is the problem in America of why they can't sort of stabilize this this particular issue and make some level of affordability for you know the average person who's pulling down thirty or forty thousand dollars a year?
1: Well, I think this is an ongoing debate, an ongoing discussion on how to deliver healthcare. Um, we have a, a pretty centralized healthcare delivery system now. We have Medicaid, which is primarily for the poor, the unemployed, the disadvantaged. Uh, and um, Yeah, and then you have Medicare which is for those who are retired after age 65. So those two programs take care of an awful lot of people in this country. Mm -hmm. And part of Biden's program is to expand those. Um, So then you have the private sector who is going through transition uh, from individual practices where a doctor, he would graduate from college, he'd uh, start his own office and provide services on an individual basis. What's happened in the United States is that the hospitals have basically taken over healthcare delivery. And all these doctors who once worked for themselves uh, can't compete with the hospital. And they're finding themselves becoming salaried and working for the hospital on a salary. And they've banning their own uh, personal offices, uh, health delivery offices and going to work for the hospital.
0: So it's getting so monopolized said, by hospitals effectively.
1: Yeah. And I'm not sure where that's going to lead us because there's very little check and balance over over there what they what they charge. And uh, one of the one of the pieces of legislation that they've been trying to pass, I don't think they passed this, and that would require the hospitals to publish ahead of time the cost of the different procedures. So if you're having mm-hmm. uh, your tonsils removed, you can go and shop for the best price.
0: Yeah, a price of menu, effectively, yeah.
1: Yeah, right now you check in and they they do something on you and they charge you all kinds of crazy monies for things that they did. Mm-hmm. And there's no little, little little accountability on there. I'm not sure where it's going to wind up. It looks like we're headed more and more to, to uh, government-provided health. Uh, I happen to like the private sector. I like to have choices mm-hmm. of doctors I see and procedures that are performed. Just show me what's out there, and I can make a choice. But instead of being required under the program, you have to go to this hospital and you have to see this doctor, and uh, you have no choices.
0: Oh, so I, I, think- I understand that. I think more more what I'm getting to is when I read online, some people say, you know, I've I've been diagnosed with an illness. And all of a sudden, their health care provider doesn't cover their medicine. And they go, oh, these pills are going to cost me two and a half thousand dollars a month. And all of a sudden, they're mortgaging their home, realizing that, you know, their, the, their cash flow is only going to last for 12 more months before they're eventually going to die of this disease because they can't afford two and a half thousand dollars in pills every month.
1: Well, see if you have competition. Competition increases quality and decreases price. And that's another, no reason why we can't have that in the private sector health delivery system. Uh, it, it was always that way, and it, was good. it worked. And right now, we, we have no choice. We go to a hospital, and we're captured.
0: Yeah, right. Okay. Tell me about, the, um, tell me about this California exodus that's taken place. I know that, uh, was it Gavin Newsom was, uh, was recalled? um is it the uh who's the gentleman that went up against some the republican nominee was it was it larry over there and, and he got squashed and i thought he was going to do quite well um but as you said there seems to be from what i hear californians flowing into texas into arizona and, and nevada trying to get out of the state what, what's happening
1: oh well, that's precisely right uh larry elder right. uh, was a, a gentleman on the republican side he's a He's a, a black guy that is a very celebrated. Um, uh, uh, radio has a radio talk show mm. every day, and he's very popular. And he ran a good campaign, but California has it's it's uh, it's completely controlled by the Democrats. So yeah. even though they they did a good they did a, a good race, uh, Larry Elder lost, and was was. And keep, his, and keep his seat. Uh, but the problem with California has gone crazy over there. Uh, uh, Industry is moving out of there as fast as they can. Uh, what's the fellow with the uh, Eli Musk moved his whole operation out of California, moved it to yeah, Texas. Right. Okay. We have people, we have companies that are relocating here in Arizona. Every day you see something in the headlines that some big companies moving their headquarters here and they're moving into Idaho, uh, Boise, Idaho is one of the fastest growing towns in America. And it's a little tiny town up there in the state of Idaho, but it's, it's just booming because of people moving in from Northern Arizona and state of Washington and Oregon. Mm. And people just do not like excessive amount of regulation, taxation and being told what to do. And, and, And the prices of everything, of housing has gone up. So these companies, employees can't afford a a place to live Mm. because the prices have gone up because of all the regulations on building a house. In other words, you gotta have a solar roof on it. You gotta have insulation. You gotta have this, you gotta have that. Every one of those, this you gotta have costs money. And Mm. they've driven the price of housing up. So people are streaming out of California uh, into Arizona, Nevada, and uh, California. I mean, into Texas, in Idaho, but we can feel it here in Arizona. It's just booming out here. Just, yeah, well. You can't build a house fast enough.
0: Um, in in the news recently, uh, the the passing of uh, Colin Powell uh, was in it, and uh, you know, history. I'm only starting to sort of enter that age where where the perception of history can change over time. Someone who has become a villain can become a hero and someone who can become a hero can become a villain. So, you know, Colin Powell became quite well known um, for, uh, for the war invasion of Iraq uh, that happened around the turn of the century as part of the Bush administration. I guess where I'm going with this is the, what we consider conservative has also changed in that, you know, 20 to 25 year period between um, George W. Bush through to, to Donald Trump and how this sort of all evolves around, what, what was your dealings with Colin Powell, I guess is the first question. And the second one is, how do you think the flavor of conservatism has changed or, or adapted in, in the situations that we're in now?
1: Well, uh, uh, Jesse, there's been a slow evolution uh, from when Barry Goldwater, my father, in 1964, defined what a Republican was and that the Republican Party stood for a conservative, a conservative philosophy. I just happened to pull up his book, Conscience of a Conservative, that he wrote back in 1960. And in this book, uh, he defines what a conservative is. He says, that uh, that the difference between the conservative and the liberal of today is that a, a conservative takes account of the whole man, while the liberal tends to look only at the material side of man. The conservative believes that man is in part an economic and animal creature, but that he is also a spiritual creature with spiritual needs and spiritual desires. Conservatism therefore looks upon the enhancement of man's spiritual nature as a primary concern of political philosophy. So if you ask a liberal what he stands for, they don't have a definition of what a liberal is. But I asked Barack Obama one time what he, what a liberal was, and he says, I'm compassion. I'm compassionate. And I think, well, that's not a definite. That that's not a philosophy. But, uh, that's not a philosophy. That's just a feeling. And I'm a conservative, but I'm compa- I'm compassionate. But the liberal has no definition, except the fact he's looking out for the economic needs of the individual. Whereas a conservative looks to the spiritual side and the spiritual side of you is freedom. <coughs> Hang on a minute here. I'm sorry, Jesse.
0: Are you right? Um, so how do we bring that back to, to what, what we would consider conservatism around the turn of the century with Colin Powell, the, uh, and well, I, I guess, how do you think it applies? And what do you think of, of the Bush to government and, and Colin Powell?
1: Well, just finishing up on this definition, a conservative, therefore, wants to enhance individual freedom. So he's 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 uh, he's against excessive taxes, excessive regulation, uh, personal responsibility. That's important. We're all if we're going to be free, we got to be responsible for our actions. And he also, as far as the nation is concerned, a strong national defense. And that is the de- definition of a conservative. A liberal not going to tell you what they believe in. They just tell you what they feel and that they're going to be watching out for the good the economic needs of the people. Mm. Uh, where the where the uh, conservative have gotten off track is they've they've kind of tippy toed over to the left a little bit more than they should be. So instead of standing up as a strict constructionist as far as sticking to the conservative philosophy, they've moved over to the left and they they have voted for and promoted different social programs that they would not inherently promote if they were a true conservative. So that's what's happened. And then along comes Donald Trump. Donald Trump really has no philosophy, uh, political philosophy. I don't really know if he knows what he stands for, but he's got good instincts as a businessman. and and when he was his four years in office, he produced some pretty good legislation. He cut taxes, that's what a conservative would do. He, he, just, he just devoured regulation. And boy, that, that business just started booming here. And he was tough on foreign policy. He built up our military. All those things are things a conservative would do, even though I think he had no clue about why he was doing it. He just had good instincts. And he had good people around him, and uh, and he had a when he, when he got uh, when he when he was defeated, the economy was booming here. Mm. I mean, unemployment was down to just nothing. Uh, wages across the board, the Latinos, the Mexicans, the the blacks, the whites, everybody was making money. Businesses mm. were coming back to the United States, and things were looking good. And things have sure changed around with Biden.
0: So Holden, um,
1: yes. Powell was one of our nation leaders and uh, somebody that uh, had respect of everyone for his leadership capabilities, where he came from, from humble beginnings, how he rose up to the ranks uh, to be one of our top leaders in the country. And uh, uh, I think Holden Powell politically was more of a privatist. Uh, he, he had uh, certain uh, feelings of behavior and I think there's certain things that happened that drove him away from the Republican Party. I'm not sure what specifically they were, but uh, I think Colin Powell was uh, a good leader. I think he served our country with great distinction.
0: Hmm. All right, so we're, we're getting there because I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, I mean, so... Trump, I think, was the initiator of it. It happened during Biden. It ties in with Colin Powell. We had this sort of um, what seemed to be a fairly quick and extreme pullout of Afghanistan. But this, from my understanding, was originally orchestrated under the Trump government. What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, as I understand, uh, uh, under Trump, they were negotiating with the Taliban to come try to get some kind of semblance of order. Uh, where the United States could withdraw and leave a stable government. So they were trying to get the Taliban to work with the existing government, and I think they had an agreement, but I don't know the details on that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Trump uh, left office, and I don't think that was ever executed. And I'm very popular That (laughs) here. Let me just take care of that. Um, I don't get a phone call all day, and then all of a sudden I'm getting a bunch of them.
0: Yeah, it's always, but... always away.
1: <laughs> so uh, and, and so uh, along comes President Biden, uh, who has no sense of military capability. I mean, he doesn't understand foreign policy, He doesn't understand military. And he he just he just abruptly withdrew from uh, Afghanistan. And left a lot of Americans and a lot of our allies there, and it didn't have to be. Uh, our military advisors were advising him not to do that, to do it in a more orderly fashion, you know, in a, in a, a very uh, methodical uh, approach to withdrawal. But he didn't. He just did it, and he's getting. That's part of the reason why he's not popular today. Is because we don't leave we don't leave our people behind, and especially our friends. Uh, Probably, I mean, you, 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 your country had to have people that was left there. Yeah, they're still trying to get out. Yeah, and, and, and that 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 was a very very bad move on his part, and it, it, we're gonna we're gonna be sorry for that. I think.
0: Hmm. All right, so <sighs> Trump seemingly, you know, by a margin of a, of a couple million votes in what seems to be the largest um, turnout for U.S. election ever. Biden's very, very unpopular now. Where does that put Trump? Outside of the fact that you know, Trump is still doing rallies, it seems very, very apparent that Trump is going to go after the nomination again to run in 2024. I think that part seems to be settled. What I want to ask you is what's happening in the party? Are they Do they want to see this happen? Do you think Trump can come back and win again in 2024? And is there support for him? Not, not in the base voters, but again, with the, the card-carrying Republicans? Do they think Trump deserves a second chance at this?
1: Well, you, you ask a question that uh, I think all Republicans are trying to figure out. And I can only be guessing because I don't talk to the gentleman on a regular basis. Uh, but I think Trump just won't fade away. Mm. Uh, he's, he's got a big ego. He's probably a, what you'd call a narcissist. And uh, he loves the he loves the the limelight and he just won't fade away. Uh, he's he in his, in his in his existence he's created quite a large base. I don't know how big that base is, is it big enough to bring him back or not. I don't know that. But I do know that he's very divisive within the Republican Party. You have people that would just as soon Trump stay back at his hope place in Mar-a-Lago in Florida and keep his mouth shut. Mm. and let the Republican Party go out and do what we're supposed to do, and that is to register new voters, get organized, go to work, and win elections. Uh, Donald Trump is not what I'd call the leader of the Republican Party. He very seldom talks about the Republican Party. He always talks about himself. Mm. And uh, as a result, in Arizona, uh, Trump's very popular, but there's a lot of people that would just soon have him out of the picture, and as a result, you've got a kind of a divide going on across the country when it comes to Donald Trump. We have some other good people, such as Governor DeSantis of Florida, yeah. who's rising yeah. up through the ranks. Uh, that uh, would be a very good presidential Caribbean candidate. Rubio and
0: Cruz would still be in there this time around, I'm assuming as well.
1: Rubio and Cruz, and we got Cotton. We got some. We got some good talent, uh, but you got this Donald Trump sitting over here just kind of causing problems. And I'm not sure where, what's going to happen.
0: And I think um, I I had someone raised a very, very good point where um, Trump doesn't lose the debates that he gets in. And I think uh, if he runs again, it's going to be, if he's got some of the base with him, and he doesn't win on that, on that journey, uh, of the campaign, I think he's going to absolutely potentially decimate and um, dismantle the perception of other good candidates, even if he does lose on the way through.
1: You yeah. know, Jesse, you're, you're in an area of the unknown. Uh, the future of politics is, is, is fluid. It's always moving and um, issues come and go. People's f- uh, fortunes are based on a lot of factors. And I don't know what's going to happen. I, I know what I would like to see and that I'd like to see uh, uh, former President Donald Trump uh, just stay out, of the, stay out of the picture for a little bit and let the Republican Party recover and do what it's supposed to do. But I'm mm-hmm. not sure he's willing to fade away like that. So I don't know.
0: And I guess, uh, you know, I don't want to take up too much of your time. So, so we'll begin to kind of wrap this down. I like to keep these things within about an hour. But... Um, d- the 2020, uh, 2020 uh, vote tampering. Again, this is something that was initiated by Donald Trump and seemed to be even before the votes were cast. He had it in his mind that if I've lost, this has to do with voter tampering. This became a narrative on Fox News. Well, again, on on liberal media, MSNBC, and it said it not. We've now seen this sort of go through varying court systems but again, depending upon the media that I view, I am no better off with understanding if there was any potential vote tampering. As far as I can see, this relates to uh, voter ID laws, potentially having ballots cast for deceased people, which potential, or and, and vote in ballots, which at least in my head can't seem to go beyond maybe more than a few thousand. So I don't, I don't see how this could overturn an entire election result with the level of it. What did you see? What's the level of vote tampering? And is it a legitimate uh, argument on behalf of, of, of this portion of Republicans?
1: Jesse, it, it gets down to a bottom line. The Democrats beat the Republicans.
0: Yeah, so there's a result. And you just have to accept the result that's, at the end of the that's
1: day. It. Yeah. That's it. And, and every election has got some tampering going on in different communities, it's especially uh, prolific in say like the cities of Chicago and Philadelphia and a few other big cities where you have these machines that control, but across the nation, I I think the election, I mean, Republicans lost. The Democrats got out there and decided they poured money into local races, local races. State mm. legislature, city council, and they got good candidates. They went, came out, got their voters out, and they won. And Republicans thought Trump had it in the bag. They thought he was going to win, so they sat on their hands and didn't do their work. They got beat, and to sit here and yell foul is not going to change that election.
0: Mm.
1: I think if there's any lesson to be learned, is we need to be a little more vigilant on, over the lo- election process. We should have more poll watchers. We should make sure that we do have uh, a process that makes common sense, such as having an identification. You have to have an ID to get on an airplane, to buy a bottle of uh, liquor. You can at least put a, an ID to, to show who you are to vote. And I don't see where that's a big issue. But Democrats want to make it a big issue uh, just because they want to stir up the pot. But the fact of the matter is Republicans got beat. And if they want to win, they've got to, get, they got to take a page out of the Democrat book and go beat them.
0: And this is such a fascinating issue to me, as, as you said, of, of why, why could it possibly be such a contentious issue that if you wanted to go vote for something to prove who you are, how is this even a debate?
1: I don't understand why it, why it's going to... this because it's just an issue that the opposition is spurring up. It's, it's it's just politics. Yeah. It's all about politics is all about power. Who's going to control? Who's going to make the rules? That's what politics is about. That's hmm. what why you have two parties in the, in the United States and they're always at each other.
0: Yeah. And they,
1: they accuse each other of all kinds of things. It's part of the part of the it's part of the picture and he, he, you know it's it's you can get real upset about it or you can just understand what's going on and all that noise that's being made is just pure political noise that's going on
0: and and, and barry last thing i'm going to ask you before we get out of here today and you know, i i i seem to be watching like masses walking immigrant caravans from other countries that say they are walking their way up to the US border to cross over into it. Again, It's so hard these days to even understand if there's any fact in that, or if this is just another left-right argument trying to to rile up. But there seems to be caravans of thousands of people trying to walk in through the southern borders, uh, obviously. And then we're presented with other other news where I I then see images of... um, uh, sheriffs on horses, whipping immigrants on the way through. And, and it, I can't get a grasp on what's happening. What is this issue with illegal immigration? And or is that actually happening? What's going on over there?
1: Well, when, when Donald Trump was president, he closed that border off. He built a wall. Very few illegal, undocumented people came across that border. As soon as President George uh, uh, Biden was elected, he opened that gate. And he basically said, everybody's welcome. And and they're, 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 this administration is doing very little to stop it. And it is a major, major crisis that, uh, that's getting out of hand. And people are going to get hurt. Uh, it, it's, it's a very serious thing. And uh, this is another reason why Joe Biden is not popular today, because he's not enforcing our... our uh, sovereignty and uh i don't know where it's going to go but it's a serious we've we've had over a million people come in here in this last year
0: right yeah right okay just walking through
1: they're walking through and they're moving them out on airplanes at night and putting them into cities far from the border and all of a sudden you wake up and there's a whole bunch of new people in your neighborhood and that's it's a very serious problem it's, a, it's really a crisis, and I don't see this president doing anything to change it, and I think it's going to come go back and hurt the, the Democrats in this next election in 2020,
0: right. 2022. Barry, I appreciate your time. I was going to say, look, because I, I hope to do this again with you, and I think as we get closer to 2024, the we'll have a better scope of, of what the Republicans intend to do and, and what those issues are turning into. Um so again as always I think this is what the fourth or fifth time we've had the chance to sit down with you. So no
1: I always enjoy it Jesse. You're 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 always a challenge.
0: All right well I, I appreciate it. I'll I'll log off and then there's there's a business thing I gotta ask after. So Barry thanks very much for your time and, and we'll speak soon.
1: Thank you.